Blog Talk Radio. episode of Pop Health Week on the Blog Talk Radio and affiliate networks. This episode is brought to you by Health Innovation Media, monitoring and informing the journey to a sustainable healthcare economy. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show. And in the virtual studio is my colleague, Fred Goldstein, principal co-host and co-founder of Pop Health Week. Hey, Fred. Hello, Greg. How are you doing this week? Doing great. No complaints again here in San Diego. And for those of you not familiar with Fred, he is a veteran healthcare executive and the past president and the president of Accountable. That would be breaking news. <laughs> the president of Accountable Health LLC, a Jacksonville-based Florida consulting firm and past chair and current board member of the Population Health Alliance. He's known on Twitter as at FS Goldstein. Fred's experience spans hospital and health system administration. HMO General Management, and is the founder of a disease management company. My background includes thought leadership consulting for hospitals, health systems, capitated medical groups, and the like. I publish and principally author ACO Watch, healthinnovationmedia.com, and precisionmedicine.center. Please follow me on Twitter at 2HealthGuru. Today we continue our coverage of issues in the emerging population health space, including evidence-based best practices, with key thought leaders, innovators, academicians, and best-in-class vendors. Our special guest on the show today is Howard Rosen, the CEO and founder of LifeWire. Howard is a Schulich MBA with over two decades of experience as a film and television producer. He invented and developed LifeWire's patented population management communication platform that humanizes digital communication through personalized responsive interactions with between parties such as healthcare providers and patients. Howard was named one of the top 100 innovators of the next century by the Rockefeller Foundation and one of the top 30 mHealth innovators by the mHealth Alliance, the United Nations Foundation. He has authored numerous articles in an industry is an industry reviewer for the US Department of Health and Human Services has addressed the Congressional Subcommittee on the subject and is a member of the Working Task Force for MHIM, as well as one of their, has been in one of their main conference speakers. LifeWire is a proprietary, secure, cloud-based communications engine that automates a continuous two-way dialogue between service providers and their customers. The resulting exchanges are tracked for advanced analytics that improve future service, gain more customer insights, predict trends, and reduce costs. So with that, believe it or not, abbreviated introduction, Fred, help us get to know Howard. Thank you so much, Greg. And Howard, after uh, discussing this for probably about a year now, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Fred. I look forward to uh, our discussion today. Yeah, it's really interesting. So your background, Howard, is a little different from many of us who have been in the healthcare field. You came out of a completely different industry. What brought you into this, and why did you decide to start LifeWire? 
Well, well, first of all, I was surprised that I was the only one that had this background. I presume everybody had that in, in health IT. Really, where it happened was in the work I did as a producing film and television, I expanded the area of education and training. And one of the clients we had at the time was GlaxoSmithKline. This is about 10 years ago. And we're doing an interactive, basically want an interactive uh, DVD on type 2 diabetes. And then doing so, I kind of learned about diabetes, how pervasive it, pervasive it was going to be. And just looking at that as completely a civilian, for lack of a better term, I'm going, well, this was just crazy. What is being done? What can be done? And I looked at it, and I saw a lot of cool solutions, but very few people were using it in managing the diabetes. And being that an arrogant producer, because I was a card-carrying producer, I said, well, all you have to do is come up with something that is lifestyle-oriented, that ties the solution to the need for diabetics, and diabetes will be solved and cured. And I kind of went, well, that took me 10 minutes, and I went off my merry way. And then about six months later, I was working with Universal McCann on promotional campaign for cell phones. And it's for, and this will age me, but this was a promotional campaign for a new phone called the StarTac uh, flip phone. Um, and learned about this concept. They're talking to it, this one number, and they see sometime down the road in the future, you're going to be able to use it to not only as a telephone, but you can connect things to it. You can actually put apps on it. And quite on, this was going in my head as it was the work on the Glaxo work. And very late one night, and I think it was way, you know, about 3 o'clock in the morning, and just being overtired, I kind of went to myself and said, well, why can't you use cell phones to manage diseases? Because that's going to be a lifestyle product, and maybe that can be helped. And that's really what started what has become LifeWire. Fantastic. And, and, you know, now we're at this place where everybody's talked about connectivity and the incredible use of cell phones to do exactly what, you know, you talked about from years ago. So talk, t- talk to our listeners a little bit about how your product works and sort of the areas you're targeting with it. It, it works as, it, as it's, kind of, it's a cloud-based platform. So the whole idea that we went into this was usability. Um, and so what I wanted to do is try to find ways to reduce the barriers you can, that could exist in the first place, reasons for people not to do something, because people love not to do things. And so in that particular case, it's uploading information, or sort of downloading software, installing software. So whatever we wanted to do, the key thing was it had to be instantaneous in terms of the communication. And so key to the, to the platform was it worked with whatever native system existed, whether it's on your telephone or computer or whatever the case may be. So in that case, it allows, in terms of communicating with the patient, so you can communicate with either text messaging, email, interactive voice, whatever they want, they can use no software required to get it up and running. The key thing to it behind is the dashboard is the ability for clinicians or the service providers to take whatever workflows they're doing now and put it onto our platform and essentially automate it, create the rule sets that they need. But the key thing to it is creating a dialogue, not just messages, but it's a dialogue. So you ask a question, it gives you a response. And, and it should be responsive to those responses. So for an example, the work uh, to your, one of your questions, we're doing a lot of work in post-traumatic stress. And one of the questions that goes out on a regular basis is how do you feel today? And they're able to put usually a modified Likert, so it's a five-point scale, one is great, five is lousy. And if they were to spawn the one, which means they're doing fine, the system may say, that's great, keep up the good work, and don't forget we're available 24-7, we being the client who's using it. If an individual were switched and say that we're 
promote, respond with a five, which means they're feeling lousy, the system may respond with saying, sorry, you feel that way, want to make yourself a cup of tea. And the reason it says a cup of tea is even though we're dealing with population management, we're also dealing with what we call precision communication, where it zeroes down to the key de-escalators for that individual. So for that individual, it may be a cup of tea, lets them sort of calm down and sort of chill out for a little bit. So the message may say, you know, sorry you feel that way, make yourself a cup of tea. Um, if you want to get hold of us, you click this for an instant IM, and that opens up a window, a chat window in the clinician's dashboard, or click on this, and it makes a phone call right away. And on the issue of that personalization where you've said to that individual, um, uh, you know, take, sit down and have a cup of tea, is that determined and loaded by the, the staff that's working with that person? Is that how that works? It's actually either way. You can be the individual can initiate those pieces or it can be on the clinician side as well. It has the ability for an individual to actually initiate their entire outreach to, them, to themselves with the clinicians knowing what's happening, but they can input these pieces of information and these, they, these, these tags, for lack of a better term, themselves. And so do they go to a, a, a site that you've created to input those, or is that done via the device? Is there a standard survey tool you, you use, or how does that work? It, it, it's actually, in that case, again, it goes back to reducing the barriers. So it allows you to initiate. So for an example, um, with the homeless population, um, one of our demo pieces are type, uh, typing the word SAFE, S-A-F-E, the short code 59937. And when they text it, they're to text that using text messaging as the example. That actually creates a whole set of interactions right on their cell phone if they're using their cell phone. It asks them questions. It asks, do you want to do this? Do you not want to do that? And it, and it fills that information on the system. And is that information, is moving that back and forth? I know one of the concerns about SMS texting is security. Um, and many people say, you know, you've got to move that into a different realm of communication if you want to start moving PHI, it, you know, or your personal health information. Is that the case with your, your system or how does that work? In that case, it's, it's all permission-based. So even at the outset, it's, it's affirming that they want to communicate that way and understanding what the parameters are, but at the same time, being very careful not necessarily to have any specific PHI, um, but to get enough on the system that could be follow-ups from clinicians uh, to enter that information themselves. Because there's Got a lot it. of information that doesn't require the PHI, and again, we found the more that the individual feels empowered and engaged in having been part of that process, the more involved that they get on an ongoing basis for ongoing utilization. Mm-hmm. And and you were talking about the homeless and PTSD. Give our audience some insight into what you're doing around PTSD and some of the results you've seen, because I think that's fascinating. It's been a major problem we've been trying to deal with in this country for a while now, looking for new solutions. And I think you've been working at this for a while now. We fact, yeah, we've been. We think we just had our 50 year anniversary, uh, if you can have such a thing. Um, but working with a, just a you know, honored to work with just a phenomenal group of veterans in that area. And the types of things that we do, you know, measures that we do, and this is it's quite a, you know, kind of interesting. So the initial measures we did are very linear in terms of the cause and effect. So, for example, one simple, uh, an area that is a big uh, issue across the board, but particularly post-traumatic stress, is showing up for appointments. So we have a measure in that where in our control group, we had a 30% no-show rate. Those who are using LifeWire were down to 7% no-show rate. Now, for those in terms of uh, substance uh, use, which is a problem with a lot of post-traumatic stress, 
is the relapse rate went from 30% down to 13%. Uh, the, of, of a number of things that we're very proud of is the readmission reduction. So in one particular group, again, we, we, uh, who are still clients, um, we, on a regular basis, have, have continued to have reduction in readmissions of approximately 32%. Now, what's interesting with that is, a particular, and using a, a VA client in particular in mind, is for one of the clients, that reduction resulted in a, a, te- a, a technical savings of $1.5 million to the facility, if you look at the direct cost of readmissions associated with post-traumatic stress. What was interesting was, if when they look at the budget line, they didn't see the $1.5 million being saved from the budget. When they went to the clinical side, they didn't have a reduced utilization rate. They were full up as they were before, but they know there was that reduction of those individuals until they did a deeper dive and they realized as a result of that reduction, 38 more vets got access to the facility that had access before. So these people essentially didn't didn't fill a bed that did need somebody else to get in, so it made the system more efficient? Exactly. What happened was, because as, as you know, sadly, there are more need than there are facilities. And so what allowed was for vets who had that need were able to be taken into that facility that had had access before. And when you discussed uh, substance abuse relapse reduced from 30% to 13 how that those were substance abusing vets who were being in this PTSD program and then they did not relapse in essence. And was there a period of time you looked at that? There was it, that actually, believe it or not, was just a, that part of that started at a six, just a 60 day rate. Um, but we're now with that same population, we're entering a third year with those populations. That and about how many. I know you've been working with the VA for a while, but how many vets are you working with? Um, I think in total right now, we're probably, of the total population, because of all the work that we're doing, we're probably around 25,000. Wow. That's a, it's an, a large number, obviously. You also have a kind of a unique program you're doing where you've combined this work you do with PTSD with um, vets who are in the maternal care programs. Can you talk to them about that? Yeah, it's an interesting program. Um, And to be honest, I wasn't aware of this population, um, which is um, a maternal care program in the VA, which is working with combat-trained female vets who are suffering from post-traumatic stress and who are pregnant. And there is approximately a 1,000 of those women at any point in time in the United States. And we're working with them in terms of a prenatal and postnatal situation, where as a, a larger example of how LifeWire is being used in automating processes, when their information is loaded to LifeWire, one of the key elements is their due date. With that, LifeWire schedules 28 assessments and surveys over an 18-month period for those women. And as an example, what it does is, let's say there's an assessment going on as a stress-related assessment. In doing the assessment of the individual, the, the indicators are that individual has a higher level of stress from previous measurements. Based on the rule set created by that facility, it may automatically switch to doing a depression management assessment for that individual. When that assessment is completed, it sends a message back to the individual, to the vet, saying, that's great, we'll be back to you, or your clinician will be back to you shortly. It then sends a, a detailed report to the clinician. They say it send a summary to the supervisor, 
And if the rules indicate such, it may actually send a message to the depression doctor to set up an appointment for that vet. So it fully automates a lot of those outreach processes. And I understand that, you know, given that automation, and are those rules um, set up by the your clients? In And do you then put those in, or do they use your system and put in their own rules, or how does that work? They actually do it all themselves. The uh, original one, the original concept of LifeWire um, was based on the idea of well, creating a series of protocols, which we know work or best practices, and everyone can institute them. Very quickly, we realized that everybody has different rule sets, different processes that work for them and their particular populations. So we designed LifeWire where the clinicians or the providers or whoever, social workers, whoever's managing it for the providers are able to do all that input themselves. It's all through a series of pull-down menus. They can create their rule sets and all these various pieces, essentially creating algorithms without realizing they're creating algorithms. But it's very user-friendly. The key thing being the last thing they want, they want to work with their clients or they want to do the work, is to have to sit and send a work order to us to do some programming. This way they can do it all in real time. As fast as they can type on a keyboard, that's how quickly it gets created on our system. And how long would it take, say, for a, a group to say, to get with you and say, we're, we're going to program in this area um, to get that then up and running? Well, it's a good question. It, technologically, it's, ex, it's extremely fast on our side. The issue is really working with that population uh, and with the clinicians, let's say, and, and really determining what is it they want to do, what, the, what is their you know, process that they have, what are the outcomes they're looking for. And that kicks into what we sort of talk about, the science and the art of communication. The science is the platform itself and what it can do. The art is working with the, our clients and helping to shape those interactions um, in a way that's most for the patients. Part of that process is breaking out what are the outcomes, how have we done it before, what do you want to do, um, and then doing the focus groups with the target group themselves. And it's, it's, it's astounding what happens with those focus groups when you know, clinicians say, okay, these are great interactions. This is what we've always been doing. Isn't it wonderful? When they see it in action with the focus group and then invariably they kind of get these very puzzled looks on the faces of their patients going, we don't know what they're asking and realizing how you fine tune those interactions. And you provide that expertise um, to them because obviously this is a new area for many uh, providers or others in the behavioral health space using this technology for these kinds of things. Is that something that you bring along with the tech? Absolutely. It's sort of part of we're as involved or not to the extent our clients need. In many cases, we have a train-the-trainer program. That's really just one day working with a key lead within each of our clients, and they come out of that with a great you know, insight on how to do it and can actually lead their own internal teams to the extent they need to. Fundamentally, it's designed not to take up too much time because the whole point for all these things is to actually make how the clinicians and the social workers work at the top of the license versus spending time doing administrative work or work building to the administrative work. And one of the um, critical areas that everyone talks about is, hey, if you start using this technology, it makes you more efficient. There have been many examples with that not happening, but I know you've got some pretty good uh, data and around that. Yeah, we've got a variety of areas. We have, uh, and of course, it's a good question because how do you define efficiency? Again, with OATS, it's almost different with every client. Um, in many cases, if it's resource management, is it time management, uh, one of the various pieces. 
So one example in terms of um, in terms of managing a population, we have a, a situation of a clinician who was managing 25 patients, and now she's managing 185 patients and getting more insights and getting better outcomes for that particular population. Uh, another example we did actually was a wellness program with a client who in that particular case were using call centers for their outreach and insights from the various patients. And we did an ex- a, a, a demo with them, a pilot, comparing the utilization of LifeWire versus what they're doing on their call center. And in this case, they're testing the 15-question assessment for 100, getting 100 assessments completed. Without going through the details, the call center took two full-time staff three days to get a completion of 100 assessments, approximately 192 hours of time. On the LifeWire side, it took 10 minutes to upload, and in 90 minutes, they had 93% completion. Wow. So the you know, resource management side is very helpful. But what was interesting with that um, is we have a director of research who just loves getting into the numbers. And so we said, now we have that's one kind of management. But the other thing is a communication management and testing that. And what we did was, is the word the same to an individual when they get it through, let's say, text messaging versus, let's say, a call center. And so we actually did an experiment taking the data that we have, because everything was date stamped and time stamped, and actually pro validated. So we knew the efficacy is there, and we compared responses. So as an example, a simple one is how good was our service today, an hour being our client. And on the call center side, um, it was 75% said it was good to great. On the LifeWire side, um, same question, same population, how good is the service yesterday? 82% said it was good to lousy. So you have the same question, same population. The only you mean good, good, to, good to best, not good to lousy? I think you said good to lousy. <laughs> it, no, it was. No, it's, it's it. The, the, yeah. the call center was good to best. Mm-hmm. The life bar side was good to lousy. So mm-hmm. it had a 180-degree different response with the same question, the same population. And the only wow. difference was the mode of communication. So it's, it's back to the art of communication. So knowing how you're communicating affects the response rate and uh-huh. the responses you can get. Interesting. You know, because I, I know that, you know, people have become so attuned to their cell phone that it's, it's replacing, you know, even email communication, Absolutely. calls and everything. So, and, and, you know, I've heard a couple of times just anecdotally that the response times are so much quicker if you're using a text type approach to get the individual to see it and then respond to it versus the other methods. Is well, it similar? Oh, absolutely. If we were to use, uh, using that example, that time frame, but break it down to the minutia, the average response uh, to the messages, if they're using text, is approximately 23 seconds. <laughs> Now, what's wow. interesting is what we're looking at, and again, we don't have we don't have a large end on this. We don't have a paper we can publish, but we're just playing with these things because, as I said, we have the date stamp and time stamp on it all. We're looking at response rates, and if there's a change in the, the speed at which an individual is responding, is that in the indicator of anything? And in the post-traumatic stress group, just because you mentioned about it earlier, very preliminary, again, can't publish, is not a large end. We're Delta changes from 23 seconds to 29 to 35 to 43. That seems to be a pre-indication of an onset of depression. Fascinating. But there's a lot more work to do, but just the kind of data we're able to collect is really exciting. One of the other data elements you've talked about 
uh, is you also use this to collect data for the organization around surveys and things like HEDIS and quality measures. Can you talk some about that? Yeah, we're working with some of our clients now. We're going from just the traditional behavioral health, but we're looking at doing HEDIS measures for clients and doing the outreach because it's all part of you know, the need to have the outreach to the population. And so we're incorporating our communication platform with a number of these measures for clients to sort of help refine that outreach that they need to do and refine the means of which they're collecting data and, and being able to report that data. So who at this point do you see is most interested in your product? Is it, is it providers? Is it payers? Um, the government versus commercial? Where do you see that? that it's, a, it's a good question. It, you know, I guess it depends on when you ask that question. But right now we're finding uh, because of the kinds of, and we've been doing this almost the original idea hit me 10 years ago. And we've been doing this quite actively for about five, six years. And, uh, and I kind of mentioned, we actually just finally got our patent for this. It really took us nine and a half years to get a patent, what I've described. That goes way back to 2006. And what, what's happening is um, government is certainly interested, like for the work we're doing with the Department of Defense, uh, Veterans Administration, Health and Human Services. So certainly interest at that level. But on the commercial side, and using Nikitas as an example, because there's a, a, a cost savings element associated with that, the commercial side is getting more interested as well. As, as you opened up uh, from, the, from the top, it's, it's such a new area. Everyone's kind of exploring where those, where those uh, elements are. Uh, we're finding because we have an open platform to the extent that we do, our clients, our prospective clients, are allowed to really get involved in a wide variety of ways. And, in fact, we learn new ways from our clients as they start utilizing it on a particular area and they expand within. And where do you hope to go with this? I mean, how, how, are, there, are there particular areas you think are more amenable in the near-term future to this approach? That's a, that's a good question. I, a, there's no question the whole area of behavioral health and mental health is a, a particular area where this provides, seems to lend itself quite well, particularly as you know, subjective and qualitative responses and insights. Um, but what we're doing is we're, we're working with a, a couple of the companies what we're looking at what we call creating the three the 3D data patient. And because you know, everything is a data point. So in terms of if you have a glucometer, you're measuring you know, the blood levels, or you have a blood pressure cuff, and you sort of, here's a cause and effect. Similarly with LifeWire, in terms of on the qualitative side and subjective how do you feel, you get a cause and effect. But what we're looking to do is actually combine the two uh, so you have a qualitative and quantitative data. So even though the same person may only, let's say, have the same blood pressure, they may feel entirely differently. And so what we're looking to do is shape that with our qualitative responses. So you have the individual, maybe you have a spouse, and you have the pedometer and a blood pressure cuff and some other devices, putting those together to create this three-dimensional patient is something we're actively involved in right now. And expect to actually have connectivity with a, with approximately 300 devices probably in the four weeks' time. Wow. So you're really looking now to use a, a, a much, much larger data set of information to shape your messaging and assist in your communications with the individuals on the other end of that system. Absolutely, because it, it shapes because it gives you insight from the provider to the patient, but similarly, the patient is able to gain their own insight to themselves. Because as being a part of that dialogue, 
they actually do absorb, you know, a lot of the issues themselves and feel that much more empowered as they become part of it and can control what the, some of the messaging that occurs. It's a really fascinating. Uh, it's a, it's a, it sounds like just a great product you put together. And obviously with your work with the VA, you're, you're helping a lot of individuals who have done quite a bit for this country and helping them get back into a, into better shape, particularly with PTSD. And I applaud you for that. Um, are there any last words you would like to add here as we come up towards the end of the show? I guess the, the last words are, as I said, it came from a completely different area into what we're doing now in terms of uh, with the platform. And it's been an incredibly exciting adventure. And it's exciting as we're working with our clients and others to help really see where this can go. Because at the end of the day, we're still the tip of the iceberg of what these kind of interactions could do, and not just with us, but with other companies as well. And it's really very exciting to see, you know, what we can do now, and I can't wait to see where it's going to go. Well, thank you so much, Howard, for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for your time. And we'll have to get you back on. And that will have to do it for today's broadcast. And I also want to thank you, Howard, for joining us and for providing us with these unique insights. Please follow Howard on Twitter via at LifeWire Connect, ampersand LifeWire Connect, and check them out on the web at www.lifewiregroup.com. Until we meet again on Pop Health Week, this is Fred Goldstein filling in for Greg Masters closing the show, and I'd like to say it all of you. Bye now. <laughs>